hardheads, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good whatever it is, wherever you are in this wonderful world of ours. Welcome to the Hardheaded Sports Podcast, episode number 19, hosted by me, Nick Ryan. I hope you guys are having a fantastic week so far. I've got a really diverse show for you all today, probably the most diverse show that we've had in a while. We're going to be talking about some college basketball with Jalen Johnson opting out of the rest of his season with Duke Basketball. Why that's more nothing more than just a glorified retelling of the same old story that it comes to with these one and dones, which is why aren't we letting kids go straight from high school to the NBA? And speaking of the NBA, we're also going to be talking about Draymond Green, Andre Drummond, and that situation in which Draymond Green is criticizing the league for their treatment of players. Of course, what the Cavs are doing with Andre Drummond, having him sit while they find a trade partner for him, if they can find a trade partner for him. And then we're going to move on to the Front Office Frenzy, episode number six, I think. Episode number six of the Front Office Frenzy. And then we're going to move on to some Carson Wentz trade talk, which <laughs> we I've been waiting for the Eagles to pull the plug on the Carson Wentz trade for about two weeks now. I think everybody has. It's supposed to be coming in the coming days for the past two weeks, but it hasn't materialized yet. And I know as soon as I say that, and, I, and I, I'm so scared that when I talk about Carson Wentz, the, the trade is going to go live basically as soon as I upload the episode, as soon as I'm done with the episode of the podcast. So we're going to fight our fear today. We are going to talk about why the Colts would be making a huge mistake in trading for Carson Wentz. And uh, then that'll be, the, that'll be the show for today. I'll come back tomorrow with some more, assuming that there's more to talk about. I've really recognized that keeping a schedule is really good, but oftentimes you're at the mercy of the sports world. You know, it really depends on how much news is happening at one time. Sometimes you're going to have days that have a lot of news and other times you're going to be struggling at the bottom of the barrel. You're going to be scraping the barrel for things to talk about. And sure, you know, I could dive into other sports like I've been saying I want to. I could dive into more some some more NHL, some more MLB. But the reality is, is that those aren't really necessarily part of my wheelhouse. I, I have a decent amount of knowledge about those sports, but not currently. A lot of it is like trivia knowledge in that sense. So I would need to do extra research on those sports. I don't want to come on the show and try and act like I sound what I and try to sound like I know what I'm talking about when the reality is, is that I just did a bunch of research on my computer. Well, that's a fourth wall break, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> let's just get into the show. I got a great one for you today. Again, I hope you guys are having a fantastic week so far, and I hope that you are enjoying yourselves. And thank you so much for the support, as always. Let's dive right into the college basketball. Jalen Johnson, forward uh, for the Duke Blue Devils, is opting out of the rest of his season with the Blue Devils. There was a joint press release from Johnson, from the university, and from Coach K talking about his decision. Uh, Johnson has been battling a foot injury. He's been out for at least three weeks or something like that. He's been in and out of the lineup, and he only played 23 minutes in the last two games before he opted out, and he only had like three points, a couple of assists. He wasn't playing like himself, that's for sure. And uh, Johnson obviously is a lottery pick. A lot of those one-and-dones from Duke do tend to be lottery picks. He is supposed to be or project to be a top 15 pick in this upcoming draft. So he has taken the time to step out, step away, opt out for the rest of the season and prepare himself for the NBA draft that is going to be coming up later this year. Duke is nine and eight on the season, more than likely going to miss the NCAA tournament for the first time in an eternity. I actually looked this up because I said this nonchalantly and I had, and I, I said, man, I don't think the Duke basketball team has missed an NCAA tournament since before I was born. And sure enough, I was actually right. The last time that the Duke basketball team 
<laughs> missed the NCAA tournament was in 1996, and I was born in 1997. So Duke has legitimately not missed an NCAA tournament appearance since before I was born, and that's crazy to me. And with that being said, that is why this this decision by Jalen Johnson is is making so much headlining news. Um, not necessarily headlining news, but it's causing a little bit of a debate in the sports world. Because of the situation of the Duke basketball team, what they're going through, what this season has been for pretty much the entire sports world with COVID, with health and safety protocols, with games being moved, games being postponed, players not being to, being able to practice with each other all the time. And uh, of course, as I said, Duke is going 9-8 and eight this season and pretty much all of the blue blood colleges, the powerful colleges in the sport of college basketball, Duke, North Carolina, Kentucky, they are all mightily struggling this season. And it, 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 it begs the question, is Jalen Johnson quitting on his teammates? Now, I don't think we would be asking this question if Duke was 16-1 and and Johnson was genuinely hurt, which he is genuinely hurt, but I'm talking something uh, more along the lines of maybe something more serious like an Achilles tear, an ACL tear, a broken bone, or a, a, a strain, or an ankle sprain. Um, I, exactly, I'm not quite sure what the foot injury is. I actually didn't dig that far into it, but regardless of that, if it was a more serious injury, I don't think people would be making as big of a fuss about this. If Duke was going 16-1 and and Johnson got injured, I don't know how people would react, but because Duke and other schools like Duke are struggling so mightily this season, it gives off the perception that Johnson is quitting on his teammates, and people will dig up information and go and say, look, he quit on the IMG Academy before even playing a game with them, and went to a completely different school. You know, two things. Who are we to judge what this young man does? I mean, sure, we can be fans of the sport. We can be fan of Duke. We can be fans of college basketball. But who are we to judge what this young man does In when, when reality is, is that he's just a kid? He's trying to fight and figure out who he is as a person and, and try and figure out his future. And obviously, the future has great potential for Jalen Johnson. He has the potential to be an NBA player, which is certainly something that a lot of people cannot say that they have the ability to do. And for me, it really just goes... Back to the basic argument that we have been talking about for years on years on end since this rule was implemented into the NBA, and that is this is why or why not players should be able to go directly from high school to the NBA. It's that same argument, but just under a different light because of how poorly Duke basketball is doing, the context of the season that they are playing with college basketball, and what type of circumstances he's leaving the team on. And this is exactly why players should have the ability to go directly from high school to the NBA. Because people tend to forget that college is nothing more than a glorified pit stop for these players. With the, with the, with the enactment of the rule that players need at least one year of college experience, that is a massive underplayment of the sport of college basketball. It really devalues the sport, and it leads to situations like this in which players... Rightfully so, if they have the potential and they have the stock in themselves in order to do something like this, it just becomes a situation in which college becomes a pit stop for these players, whether they like to admit it or not. Now, I'm not going to say that Johnson's you know, help for, heartfelt statement about you know always loving Duke and always going to be remembering the brotherhood that he, that he found with those players. I don't... I, I kind of want to border on the line of saying that's kind of some promotional bull. Uh... Sure, maybe he's made some friends on the team. 
Obviously, Duke is a fantastic university with fantastic facilities. He has had the best of the best, but I don't know how much I would buy, uh, you know, that, oh, I'm going to remember this brotherhood forever. Eh, a lot of that is, I think, is promotional BS to try and smooth over the situation. But still, that doesn't mean that he's making the wrong decision. I think he's making the right decision in this case. And, you know, again, we wouldn't be having this conversation if NBA or if players were allowed to go directly from high school to the NBA. Because, again, it, when it comes to college for these one and dones, it just matters what kind of pit stop you want your college pit stop to be. Do you want the the Duke five-star motel that has a complimentary breakfast, is fully decorated inside and out, and has an indoor pool? Or do you want a more run-down three-star motel, but one that gives you the best night of sleep that you've ever had in your entire life? Really, it just depends on the player. It depends on what their their attributes are, their personality is, uh, whether how much how much winning matters. Because it really does not matter where these kids go to school. It it might matter to them in terms of what they 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 want personality wise. If they want to win, it matters. Uh, depending on what coach you want to learn from, it matters. If you want to build a brotherhood, if you want to play there for multiple years, it matters. If you want to learn to play basketball better, it matters. But if your mindset is purely on the NBA and going to the NBA, nobody could give less of two craps where you played college. They're not going to remember where you even played college unless, you know, they're they're very, you know, super knowledgeable about the sport. And they're not going to know where you played college unless the little title tag or that little that little text bar comes on screen when you're about to shoot a free throw tells people that, you know, you went to college at Kentucky. A casual basketball fan is not going to give two craps where you went to where you went to college. So it really just does not matter where these players go to college. It's a glorified pit stop. And as much as people want to label Jalen Johnson as a quitter for opting out of you know the rest of the season, the only reason that that's even being a conversation is because Duke is doing so poorly. This is the work that Duke has done in the last, oh uh, God, close to 24, 25 years. You know, th th none of this would be a conversation if that were not true to begin with. So I think it's very unfair for Jalen Johnson to be labeled as a quitter. I don't think he's quitting on his team. I think he's taking a honestly a calculated, he's making a calculated decision on his future that really anybody would be making if he, if they were in his position. And the only reason that Johnson is having to make that decision is because he is required to spend a year in college, and if he were allowed to go straight to the NBA from high school. You know, say if he were doing this for in high school, if he was opting out on the rest of his season in high school to play, um, you know, to, to, to heal up, to get ready to go to the NBA, nobody would be saying anything. But because college basketball is a little bit different and players are required to play college basketball, that's where things become a little bit different. And that's where the arguments start to happen. So is Johnson running out his teammates? No, he's making the right decision. But this wouldn't even be a problem if players were allowed to go straight to the NBA from high school to begin with. And speaking of the NBA, Draymond Green took to the podium in a post in a post game press conference earlier in this week after the Cleveland Cavaliers played the uh, Golden State Warriors. And Draymond, after fielding a question about his relationship with Stephen Curry for about thirty seconds or so, he res he, he he took the rest of the press conference to talk about uh, and, and complain about how the Cleveland Cavaliers were treating Andre Drummond. Of course, Andre Drummond, the news came out earlier in the week that the Cavs were wanting to transition to their newly acquired center, Jared Allen. Of course, Jared Allen coming over from the Brooklyn Nets trade, the gigantic four-team James Harden trade. And until the Cavaliers found 
a potential trade partner for Drummond. They were going to sit him. They thought it was unfair for his, for them to limit his minutes. And this a very similar thing actually happened in Detroit with Blake Griffin, where the Detroit Pistons said, we probably want to move on from Blake Griffin. Let's have him sit out until we find a potential trade partner so we can start you know, coaching up these younger guys. And essentially what Draymond was saying in this uh, post-press conference rant is that you take a look at what happened with James Harden and how he demanded a trade, he won it out, and he forcefully pushed his way out of there. And everybody vilified James Harden when the reality is, is that my take on it was, look, he's going to leave anyways. You might as well get what you can from it. He, he's going to be able to get out. It wasn't like, keep him there, keep him there. It was, you got to let him go. You've got to let him go. There is no way that you're going to be able to keep him there. Draymond is pointing to that situation with the James Harden trade and taking a look at that and comparing it to what's going on with Andre Drummond. And he's saying, this is some bull crap. He's saying, why are NBA players vilified for being able for, for demanding a trade and wanting a way out of their franchise? But as soon as an NBA team wants to move a player, that player is supposed to be remain business professional, comply with everything. And if they don't, they're seen as a nuisance to the locker room and to the basketball team. And he is absolutely right. Now, realistically, you know, obviously, if he if he had time to type out his thoughts instead of just saying it at a postgame press conference. The, clux, the, the nucleus of the argument would be this. Draymond Green just wants consistency. Draymond Green just wants consistency in how NBA teams treat their players and how NBA players are viewed when they demand trades by the executives and by the fans. And because he's absolutely right. Uh, you take a look at the two situations and they're not, you know, equal. They're not consistent. You know, Draymond or, or, or uh, Andre Drummond literally was out there in game gear. They told him to go back to the locker room and get into street clothes, and he was forced to watch the rest of the game in street clothes. Now, I don't know Andre Drummond personally. I don't know how much that affected him. I don't know if he really wanted to play. But, you know, regardless, Draymond Green is absolutely right. And uh, the fact that maybe it's Draymond Green saying this may be something that's kind of, I don't know, I don't want to say delegitimizing the statements made, but, um, you know, Draymond Green is often a very outspoken person. The person that I really feel bad for in this is Drummond. I mean, Drummond was traded away from Detroit, a team that he, you know, he was very shocked to find out that he was traded from. Uh, he was he was very heartbroken over that. And now there's a similar situation happening to him in Cleveland, where Cleveland is, is saying, look, we, we don't want you anymore. We're going to sit you until we can find you a trade partner. I just feel super bad for Andre Drummond, man. Uh, I mean, his his brand of basketball player is dying out in the NBA. He's very much so a defensive rebounder, uh, uh, very much a, a post player. Those types of players in the NBA are dying out. And, uh, you know, that's more of the reason just why I feel bad for Drummond. But Draymond Green is exactly right. There needs to be some kind of consistency in the NBA when it comes to these things. And I would really like to see Adam Silver take the situation and use it as a template for how, you know, what teams can or cannot do. You know, tampering uh, needs to be revisited. Uh, the, the way that, you know, NBA players are, are, are treated, the way that, you know, NBA, you know, teams treat their players and how players treat their teammates, except the, the whole system needs to kind of be looked at and reevaluated. 
And, you know, there's really two trains of thought on this. It's either, okay, look, the players work for the organization. The organization has the power. But there's also the fact that who are the fans paying to see? They're not paying to see Rick Carlisle, the head coach of the Dallas Mavericks, just as an example. They're paying to see Luka Doncic and Kristaps Porzingis. That's who they're they're choosing to pay for. They're, that's who they're paying to see. You know, so it's a, it's a double-edged sword. It's the players work for the organization, so the organization has the power. But it's also the fact that people want to see Luka Doncic play. So he has the power too. And if, you know, he doesn't want to play, people aren't going to buy tickets or not as many people are going to buy tickets. There, there, there has to be a compromise somewhere. There has to be a compromise somewhere in which there become, there, there becomes some consistency in how everybody is treated and business doesn't get in the way. There has to be something somewhere. I mean, when you say it like that, business is always going to prevail, but there has to be something somewhere, uh, in order for there to become some consistency. Because again, Draymond Green is exactly right in this situation. Dray, uh, Andre Drummond is getting treated completely unfairly. Blake Griffin is getting treated unfairly. You know, he, they're, they're basketball players. They, I'm, I'm assuming most of them want to go and do their job. So to see them not being able to do their job, and then you see somebody like James Harden who is forcing his way, trying to, to, to make a living, trying to play the game that he loves, but play it with a different team, then that becomes a problem. You know, there needs to be some consistency somewhere. Now we're going to move on to the sixth installment of the Front Office Frenzy, which if you haven't seen this before, I'm sure, but if you have seen this before, I'm sure you're tired of me explaining it. If you haven't seen this before, it's a segment where I draw a random team out of this hat and I, in 15 minutes or less, lay out a logical and reasonable game plan for that team to be in playoff contention by the end of next season. And I do this basically off the top of my head. I have no notes in front of me, basically no notes. I have a couple things in front of me. I have the team record. I have the team cap space, I have the draft picks, and I have a couple of smaller bullet points of talking points of things that I need to know to be able to carry myself through the segment. Everything else, like player names, exact numbers, decision-making, that's all coming up off the top of my head, and I have no team what I'm going to pick until I pull the name out of this hat, which <sighs> the team for today... Goodness. Oh my god, it's spilling over. Ah, goodness. <clears throat> the team for today is... Oh, God. <laughs> the Atlanta Falcons. Um, hmm. We've gotten... We've gotten some real tough ones. Some real tough ones. Two days in a row. Two segments in a row. We've gotten a really, really tough team. The Atlanta Falcons. Oh, God. Okay, this is going to be stressful. <laughs> uh, this is this this is going to be difficult. Uh, the Falcons are in a very, very tough spot. They're in a very tough spot. They have a horrible cap space, if I remember correctly. Okay, let me find the Falcons in my notes really quick so I can remember the main points here. Okay, Atlanta Falcons. Jesus Christ. Okay, <clears throat> start your timers now. 
The Atlanta Falcons, the things to know, they were 4-12 in 2020. They fired head coach Dan Quinn in the middle of the season. They are negative $31 in cap space, according to uh, overthecap.com, and they have six draft picks before compensation picks are added. Obviously, the number to note straight away is the cap space, the negative $31 million in cap space that the Atlanta Falcons have. Somehow, the Falcons were able to have one of the most expensive teams in the league last season and end up going 4-12, and and they have the number four pick in the NFL draft this season. Now, an important thing to note, actually, speaking of the calorie, the, sal- the calorie cap, that's the second time I've done that, the salary cap. The important thing to note about the salary cap before I continue uh, and I was going to talk about this no matter what team I, p- I picked today. Uh, I think I think the Falcons are actually a really good example of this. When researching the salary cap for the segment, I used the Over the Cap website, which I already referenced. Uh, their stats assume that the NFL salary cap will actually depreciate in value this next season as opposed to a flat rate, which uh, the NFL salary cap appreciates at a flat rate pretty much every single season because of new TV deals, new money coming into the league, not to mention you know any rollover salary for these teams that happens. Uh, from 2020 to 2021. So uh, obviously with doing this segment off my head, I can't sit here and do exact number calculations. And even if I wanted to anyways, the numbers aren't set in stone and they may change. So my suggestions are purely based on what I think would happen based on the present information that I'm given. And again, those numbers aren't exactly consistent. I did want to kind of throw that out there before I started talking about uh, salary cap in this episode, which I didn't know I was going to be chasing the Falcons today. So how about that Falcons cap situation? Oh my God! As I already said before, look, the, the somehow, some way, the Falcons went four and twelve with, I think, the third or fourth most expensive roster in the league that season, which means somewhere, somehow, they overpaid for some players, and there are a couple of things that they can do. Uh, for one, they can try and restructure Matt Ryan's contract a little bit. This season, he was making over a little over a million dollars, but all the, 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 the all the cap hit was coming from bonuses. Uh, but this season, he's not only making a base salary of something ridiculous, like somewhere in the twenty million. So he has like a, I'm not exactly sure of the number, but he's got like a twenty million dollar base salary plus twenty million dollars in bonuses too. So whereas this season he was making one million base and I think eighteen million bonus, this upcoming season he's going to be making twenty million with an extra twenty million bonus. So especially if that salary cap depreciates, I don't think the NFL will do that. I think they'll probably keep the flat rate. If that value depreciates, though, Matt Ryan is going to hold a cap hit that consumes like maybe 25% of the roster. That's how much the Falcons are paying Matt Ryan at the ripe old age of 37. I think regardless of what you do, you need to try and restructure Matt Ryan's contract a little bit. Uh, either way, you, ne- you need to see if that happens no matter what you do. The other option, and this is probably the only other option that you have at this point to try and get under the cap, uh, and, you know, it, the, the segment is all predicated about how am I going to make this team a contender this next season? The logical answer is probably that I can't, but I'm going to try anyways. Uh, the other option is that you're going to have to do a couple of difficult veteran cuts. Uh, Dante Fowler Jr. is the name that comes first to mind. He had a very below average season, and he's getting paid um, uh, too much to be playing like that. I don't know if it's like 15, 15 million a year, or maybe that was the total number of his contract. Again, numbers are difficult, ladies and gentlemen. But re- uh uh, Ricardo Allen and Allen Bailey are another two names apart from Dante Fowler Jr. that I could foresee being cut. Those are the names that are coming up off the top of my head. 
reasonably speaking, there are two ways that I see this offseason going for the Falcons. And normally on this segment, because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be doing this on the fly here, normally on this segment, we cover the biggest problem with the franchise, then we go into free agency, who I would sign, who I would let go, who I would re-sign, and then we go into the draft. But the, the, for the Falcons, I think I need to do something a little bit different. Because the problem with the Falcons specifically is the cap space. How the hell are they going to manage their cap space? Especially if the value of the league depreciates, or the salary cap depreciates this year in the NFL. Reasonably speaking, there, there's, there, there's, there's two ways you can do this. Option one is you draft a quarterback with your number four pick and either trade or cut Matt Ryan after June 1st to have the dead money spread out from his contract over the next two seasons. You are able to have a little bit more cap room to sign and re-sign free agents. You have a new quarterback. The, the, the big, bad money monster in Matt Ryan is, is slain, and you're going to be able to pay that off over the next two seasons. This is probably the more likely thing that I would do if the salary cap depreciates in value. Option number two, you restructure Ryan's contract, which I think you should try and do anyway if you're Atlanta. You cut some expendable players and get under the cap. Trade back from the number four pick to get some more picks from a, a team that wants one of the top three quarterbacks. So maybe somebody like Carolina, Indianapolis, Chicago. And see if you can get a QB in the second round if one of those QBs is still available. Like like Mac Jones is still available uh, in the second round with your with I think they have the thirty uh, fifth, thirty sixth overall pick in the second round. So those are the two options that I think would reasonably work for the Atlanta Falcons to give them the best chance to succeed. Out of those two options, that gives the best chance. Like, if I had to choose, I think it's probably option number two. Like, the reality is, is that with the amount of money that the Falcons are in the hole with, they're going to have to let go of some players that they really don't want to. Probably players like Keanu Neal, who has a really has been playing really well for them at the safety position. Um, when you're bottlenecked by the cap like this, your only real course of action is to get through... Play, get players through the draft to fill the holes that you're losing in free agency. And I think the one thing that, speaking of free agency, I think the one thing that the Falcons need to do to get, and, and the one type of player that the Falcons absolutely need to get in free agency is some kind of defensive end or pass rusher, some mid-level signing to kind of help out uh, Grady Jarrett. And uh, I know I said earlier that the Falcons realistically are probably going to need to cut players. And the names that I mentioned before were mostly defensive end. Again, Dante Fowler and Alan Bailey. Uh, I I know that those guys are defensive ends, and now I know I'm saying you need to go and sign a defensive end in free agency. But, you know, look, from what I saw this uh, from the past season, the players that were already on the roster didn't really sell me. I mean, the Falcons had multiple touchdown leads, and they wasted those leads. They allowed teams to come back and score. Uh, and, you know, those pass rushers didn't really impress me, especially in situations where you know that the opposing team is more than likely going to be throwing a ball and you still could not get pressure on the quarterback. And when I'm saying that, when I'm seeing that, I'm saying, look, the guys that are currently on the roster are guys that are not making an impact. So why should we keep them? We should try another name. So you need to find another name in free agency, a defensive end. And the reason that I say you need to find a defensive end is because defensive end is probably the least uh, populated in terms of a least talent in this year's draft class. Uh, there's Gregory Rousseau, there's Quiddy Pay, 
Uh, and then there, the, the names kind of dwindle off from there. So you really need to try and get a defensive end there in free agency before you go to the draft. And, you know, our plan for the draft really revolves around getting as most the most players possible to fill in the gaps that we're losing in free agency. Again, part of this is me trying to turn the Falcons in, into contenders when they have probably one of the worst situations in the NFL currently. Again, the Falcons are really at the mercy of the caps uh, of of the cap room right now. And new head coach Arthur Smith and new general manager Terry Fontenet, uh, they have some work to do. They are going to have to make some very difficult moves this offseason, and it really matters of what the vision of Arthur Smith and uh, Terry Fontenet are. Um, so when we get to the draft, you need I, I, with this option. And you know, again, we have the two options. We had either the one where you draft a quarterback and cut Matt Ryan. Or we have the one where we keep Matt Ryan, restructure his contract, and try and trade back. And I said that I would probably choose the second option. If we're trading back with a number four pick, with that pick, if you can't get a defensive end in free agency, you should draft Gregory Rousseau or Quidipe with your, your pick, depending on who you trade with. If a quarterback is available that you like, you should take him in the second round. Otherwise, you need to try and grab an offensive lineman in the second round, somebody like uh, Jackson Garman, uh, or if you want another cornerback to help A.J. Terrell, maybe Tyson Campbell out of Georgia is a good idea to draft. I've, I've seen a couple of, of mock drafts with Tyson Campbell on the list uh, for the Falcons to take in the second round. And then you need to use your new picks from trading back, whether they're in this draft or the next draft, to try and and fill the holes that you're going to be left with in free agency. Because again, negative $31 million in cap space at this point is not really setting you up for success in this in this day and age. So, uh, you know, I think that, you know, some of the pieces that the Falcons have are good. Obviously, there's Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley. Uh, Hidden Hurst is a decent tight end. You're more than likely going to be losing Todd Gurley in free agency, so maybe you want to invest in having a running back in some of the later rounds. Uh, but you know the, the defense, the the defense, the pass defense for the Atlanta Falcons was really bad last season. Uh, so you might want to invest in a cornerback in the second round. I think defensive end is probably the place that you want to go first, especially if you're going to be cutting a lot of contracts from that position. Again, the reality is, is that the Falcons probably aren't going to be contenders this season. They probably aren't going to be contenders next season. But of course, for the gimmick of, of this segment, we're going to have to try and make them contenders with what we got. And this is the best that I got for the Falcons. This is the best course of action in my mind. There's not exactly a lot that they can do money-wise. So that means that they need to rely on the draft. And if you're going to rely on the draft, you're going to need more picks. So you need to trade back with your number four pick. Keep Matt Ryan for the rest of the contract. It's going to suck uh, if he's going to be being paid all that money. So you might as well try and restructure that contract. That is the end of the front office frenzy segment for the Atlanta Falcons. I know it was a little bit of a of a shorter one. I am getting very hot and flustered. I need to go turn on a fan, so we're going to cut. We're going to take a little break from the podcast right here. Uh, we'll be back momentarily. And welcome back to the Hard-Headed Sports Podcast. Sorry about that, folks. I had to take a little bit of a break. Normally, I don't take break, uh, breaks during the show. I just power through, do one take, and just see where it takes me. But I had to take a little bit of a break there. 
it gets hot in this room, especially with the inconsistent weather in northern Florida. Some days it's really, really cold and you need to have the heater on. Other days it's kind of warm and your heater plays a big part in making you overheat just a little bit. Not to mention the fact that I've got my computer running. I've got multiple lights on me and I'm just generally working up a I don't want to say working up a sweat, but uh, I'm, I'm working myself up. I'm moving a lot. I'm talking a lot. It's, it's very important to remain hydrated. So this is your hard-headed sports uh, sponsored by Nick Ryan. This is your, this is your uh, reminder to remember to drink water and stay hydrated. Uh, towards the end of that uh, segment, I was definitely fe- uh, beginning to feel a little bit nauseous, needed to wrap up the segment, so apologies if that segment didn't come off as clean as I wanted it to, but hey, I think that's the alternative of me you know, uh, becoming sick in the middle of the show is probably, it's probably the better alternative that we cut the, the, uh, the, uh, the segment short. So we're going to wrap up the show today talking about Carson Wentz. And again, as I said at the beginning of the show, every single time I talk about Carson Wentz, I feel like I'm so fearful that the Colts or not the Colts, but the Eagles or the Colts and then and the, or the Bears or some kind of trade is going to happen with Carson Wentz. Every single time I talk about him, I'm like, it's going to happen. It's going to happen as soon as I end up finishing the show. And then basically everything that I said talking about the show just becomes irrelevant information. But it's been two weeks since the uh, the news broke that Carson Wentz is going to be traded very, very soon. So it's like I think I'm probably safe now to to let out some of the thoughts that I that I've had about that situation in Philadelphia over the past two weeks. And of course, the reports are that the Colts and the Bears are the two teams that are the most interested in Carson Wentz. And again, the Eagles are looking for a Matthew Stafford-esque package. So that's close to two to three first-round picks and a quarterback. Uh, And I just can't help thinking that, you know, the Colts are looking for a quarterback. The, the, The Bears have one, but they're really wanting to move on from him. I just can't help thinking to myself that, man, it would be a gigantic mistake for the Colts to trade for Carson Wentz in this point in time for a couple of reasons. First reason is that you have no idea the amount of dominoes and pieces that are going to fall with the amount of quarterbacks that could potentially be drafted in the first five or in the first 10 picks of the of the NFL draft in April. No clue how many dominoes can fall. You don't know what type of quarterback is going to pop up where. You don't know if Dak is going to re-sign with with, uh, Dallas because I think Dak Prescott would be a great quarterback for Indianapolis. They have the cap space to pay him. You don't know you don't know who's going to be available at what time. So I think to try and get your quarterback now in somebody like Carson Wentz who you have acknowledged is going to be a bit of a project. You're going to have to rebuild Carson Wentz from the ground up. You're going to have to spe- you're going to have to take a cap hit eventually. Look, the the Eagles are going to take the cap hit initially, but then that cap space falls on you. And look, the Colts are doing really well with their cap situation. I think they have like the third most cap space in the NFL. That is all going to shrink away with the acquisition of Carson Wentz. It's not going to, you know, manifest itself this season, but the next season for sure. You really don't want to 
in my mind, it would be a tremendous mistake to make that trade away. So not only are you trading away picks and you're trading away another player for a quarterback that's going to hurt you massively financially within the next year or so, and you have no idea if he's going to be able to become the player that he was during his MVP caliber season. When you put it like that, it all seems really kind of stupid. Like, that would be a tremendous mistake by a team like the Indianapolis Colts to trade for Carson Wentz. And personally, I don't see why they would even entertain the idea. I understand you're in need of a quarterback. You do have options, and you don't even know the options that are going to be manifesting over the next couple of weeks, the next couple of months. Free agency starts in a little bit. No, it does start in a, almost exactly a month. It's the 18th of February today. Probably even a little bit less than that. To put in a trade for Carson Wentz now, like the rumors are suggesting, would be a massive mistake by Frank Reich and the in the Indianapolis Colts. And I think I know I know I'm really down on Wentz, and I know that I don't like him as a player. And this is me just calling out my bias, like straight up and transparently. But even without it, like it makes no sense. You're shrinking your cap for a player that you don't know is going to work out. You're trading away picks to get him. And you're going to be wasting the prime of a very young and successful Indianapolis Colts team. A team that almost beat the Buffalo Bills in the opening round of the playoffs this year. This is a good young Indianapolis team. And I do not know why in any situ- why in any world you would trade for a quarterback that has confidence issues. He's emotionally immature currently. He, you know, is expensive and you would have to trade a lot to get him and you would have to build him from the ground up. It makes absolutely no sense. I would love for somebody to come to me with an argument as to why the Colts would want Carson Wentz. And before you tell me that, hey, it's the Frank Wright Carson Wentz connection. Look, that means jack to me. For the reasons that I just laid out, I don't care if Frank Reich is is you know the mastermind and he somehow turns around Carson Wentz, you know that that not only is an absolute long shot of actually happening, but you would still give up so much to get him and sacrifice so much of the good standing that you have currently organizationally in comparison to the rest of the league. You have good young talent, you have cap space, you have exciting players. And really all you need is that quarterback, which that quarterback, that right quarterback may not be the best quarterback in the league, but that right quarterback may appear out of nowhere with the domino effect that happens in the NFL draft or over the course of the free agency over the next couple of months. The Colts have options, and I think it would be a tremendous mistake for them to go anywhere near Carson Wentz with a 10-foot pole. And again, I recognize I don't like Carson Wentz. Uh, I mean, I'm unbiased in this take, but realistically speaking, I don't like the game that Carson Wentz has has portrayed. I don't like his attitude. I would not want him as my quarterback. I understand the Philadelphia Eagles want to trade him, but they're asking too much. So, so somebody's going to have to 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 take it. You know, somewhere somebody somebody's going to have to sacrifice somewhere. Either Philadelphia is going to have to sacrifice and just take the cap hit and keep him on the team, or you know they're or they're going to have to have a lesser you know haul for Carson Wentz than something that they're asking for. Uh, you know, it's kind of funny because again, the Jared Goff Matthew Stafford trade is already having effects on uh, the market. 
Because is Carson Wentz worth a Matthew Stafford S trade? I would argue that he's not. And still, that's what the Philadelphia Eagles are asking for. Again, horrible mistake. It would be a monumental mistake in my mind, in my opinion, if the Colts end up trading for Carson Wentz uh, and sacrificing not only their cap room, but sacrificing first-round picks, sacrificing uh, sacrificing time to try and build up Carson Wentz when we don't know for sure, and the odds are not in his favor that he can ever return to being a MVP-caliber quarterback. So I'm very interested to see what you all have to say about this. I'm, I'm interested for those of you who may think that it's a good idea um, for, you know, the Colts or the Bears. You know, the Bears, again, are another part in this because there is a connection there. I, I want to hear some arguments for Carson Wentz going there. Um, but again, I'm just curious to know what you all think as well. So that's the end of the show. Again, I wanted to keep this short and sweet. Um, we're having a little, having a little bit of a hot flash here in the studio. Again, it's very hot in here. Uh, multiple lights, multiple uh, you know, cameras, PCs, a lot of things running, making it very warm in here. So thank you so much for watching the show today. I definitely appreciate you all hanging around, sticking with me. And uh, I should be back tomorrow with more things, more stuff to talk about, assuming that there is stuff to talk about. We shall see. But if not, I will see you all this weekend at some point. So stay hard-headed, but have a nice day.